So we're looking at Isaiah 5 this week. You'll want to have your Bibles open. It's page 552, page 552, Isaiah 5. Let me say, too, that most Bible study groups are, all, are still accepting members. So if you want to find a Bible study group on campus or off campus, just go to the Campus Ministries homepage, and you can click over to Bible studies and then click join a group, and it will list all the groups on campus are led by Calvin people that are around. So if you want to do that, very easy to do that. And if you need help, come find me, and I will help you find one. So Isaiah 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 now, but keep it open because I'm going to refer to the rest of it as we go along. Now, there are different characters who say the parts in verses 1 through 7. So verses 1 and 2 are spoken by Isaiah the prophet, and this is what he says. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now, this is the Lord speaking. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. And now the prophet gives you a little clarity, in case you didn't know. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. This is the word of the Lord. So a few days ago, I was on one end of our house, and my husband was in the kitchen, which I was on the other end of the house. And suddenly I heard him cry out, he was like, oh, oh, this is awful, oh, this is awful, oh, oh. And I went running across to the kitchen to find out, you know, if he'd like severed a limb or something. And he was poised over the garbage can with a peach in his mouth, and he looked at me with disgust. He said, it's a bad peach, it's a bad peach. <laughs> and he was so disgusted, he threw away that, spit it out, threw away. He took the other two peaches that we had gotten from the same place, walked into our backyard and hucked them as far as he could. My husband, everyone, Drew Cromiga, right there. Yeah. The man is serious about his peaches. That image is what we have here in Isaiah 5. You see, God invests, he invests, he invests in a vineyard, and he expects it to build beautiful fruit. And there are a few things more, like, tastefully disappointing, and then when you're expecting something great and you're like, oh, ah, oh, ah. and that's what happens here. Now, the translator here uh, was a little too poetic when he said, I expected it to yield grapes and it yield, yielded wild grapes, because the Hebrew has almost a made-up word 
for here. And the literal Hebrew for this is stink fruit. <laughs> stink fruit. I expected it to yield grapes, and it yielded stink fruit. Blech. That's, that's the image. That's the power of this. And then the prophet goes on to say, okay, the vineyard, Israel, the produce it was supposed to put out, justice and righteousness, and instead bloodshed and cries. It was supposed to put, send out justice and righteousness. Now, to be very basic, very simple, justice is about good relationships with other people. It's the way you build up a community so that you can have reconciliation, so that you can move forward, so that there's fairness, so that people on the margins get taken care of. Justice is about everybody looking out for everybody else. Justice creates a community in which if someone is in need, everyone else pitches in. Justice creates a community where when someone is wrong and hurts someone else, the others discipline that person. Justice is about good relationships with each other. Righteousness, again, to be very simple about it, is about a good relationship with the whole community and God. Righteousness is about obeying the commands of God, about worshiping God the way he wants to be worshipped, serving him the way he wants to be served. It's about the whole community having a good relationship with God. So justice, good relationship with other people. Righteousness, all of us, good relationship with God. And that's what the people of Israel were supposed to do. Their community was supposed to look so different from other communities that people would look and say, wow, if I were a poor person, I would want to be poor in Israel because look at them. They really take care of their poor people. If I was a widow, I'd want to move there. They were supposed to be so different in producing justice and righteousness that the other nations would turn to them but they weren't. They didn't do it. Instead, they produced stink fruit. And in the rest of Isaiah 5, we get some details as to what that stink fruit was. Now imagine, if you will, an imaginary fruit that we will call the stink fruit. The stink fruit has sections like an orange. Okay? The first big section of stink fruit that Isaiah points out, greed, verses 8 through 10. And where it says, ah, it should really say, whoa. Not like W-H-O-A, but like W-O-E, like whoa. Whoa, you who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no room for anyone but you. You're left to live alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield a mere ephah. That means a lot will only produce a little bit. That's what that means. Now, God had very specific rules about land. He laid it out in the Torah, and he said land is going to be passed on from one generation to the next generation. And when you have land, you've got to put up boundary markers. You've got to put up boundary stones. And some of you have traveled to countries where they still do this, where they still have boundary markers and boundary stones, and you can see them, and they're old, and they're there. And you were not allowed to move boundary markers. It was against the Torah. 
And when you had a good inheritance, you felt blessed. The psalmist actually says at one point, the boundary markers have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. See, justice, right relationships with others, depends on everybody following the same law about land. So that when you run into trouble, instead of taking advantage, I help you. That was the idea of Torah. That was the idea of the land. The land is a gift from God to all of us. What we do with it is our gift back to God. However, as we can see from Isaiah 5, the people were starting to take it all. Like, so you get into trouble, I'd say, Rachel, too bad for you, taking your land, get off. Or I'll make you a slave. John, you're having trouble with your land? I'm going to make you a slave. You can work for me. This is how it would spread. And so one person would be, and like it says, house and house and field and field. And God's saying, that's not justice. That's not righteousness. That's stink fruit. That's disgusting to me. The second section of stink fruit, drunkenness. Eleven. Woe to you who rise early in the morning in pursuit of strong drink, who linger in the evening to be inflamed by wine, whose feasts consist of lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine, but who do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Skip over to 22. Woe to you who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant at mixing drink, who acquit the guilty for a bride and deprive the innocent of their rights drunkenness. You see, when you're intoxicated, you don't really care much about justice. That's not really high on your list of priorities at the moment. You're not really caring about other people. And you're not caring about God. You're not caring about righteousness. So 12, you don't regard the deeds of the Lord. 23, you acquit the guilty for a bribe. The chief things you're supposed to do as a human being called by God as a member of the nation of Israel, you're supposed to have good relationships with God, good relationship with other people, and when you're drunk, you do neither. You become so absorbed in who you are and the next buzz you're going to get that you don't care about justice, you don't care about nobody. You care about you. God says that is disgusting. That is stink fruit. The third section is pride. Verse 19. These are the people who say, let God make haste. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel hasten to fulfillment that we may know it. They're saying, oh, oh, Yahweh, you're so big, you got yourself a plan. Really? Show it. Let's see it. What are you going to do about us? What are you going to do something, big man? Let's see it. Let's go. Bring it. Pass the wine. Just this arrogance of like, he does nothing. We've got it all. We've got the land. We're having great parties. We're having a good time. We know how to let each other off the hook. We know who to let, slip a little money to to get ourselves off the hook. We've got a good system here. He thinks he knows better. Let's see it. That's not caring for anybody else. That's not caring well for God. That's disgusting. That's stink fruit. And the combination of these three things, the greed, the drunkenness, and the pride, the combination of these three things in this society makes it so that they can't even tell right from wrong. 
They get it all mixed up. So verse 20. Woe to you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to you who are wise in your own eyes and shrewd in your own sight. Stink fruit. Disgusting. And we need to be clear that God isn't simply annoyed by these things. He's not just mildly bothered by them. God gets angry about these things. He gets angry about injustice. He gets angry about the lack of righteousness. He doesn't just walk away from the vineyard and let nature take its course. He actually, did you notice this? He actually destroys it. He actually takes down the wall. He actually says to the rain, don't rain here. He destroys it. And the last half of Isaiah, or the last section of Isaiah 5 is about how he is going to destroy Israel. We're at 26. He'll raise a signal for a nation far away and whistle for a people at the ends of the earth. Here they come swiftly, speedily. And that's exactly what happens. The nation of Israel is overtaken. At the end of 2 Chronicles, which I know you're just reading now for fun, at the end of 2 Chronicles, it tells about what happens here. The very, very end of the chapter, it says, and they come, and they slaughter people, and they don't care if you're aged or if you're young or if you're feeble. They take out daughters. They take out sons. They slaughter the people. They tear down the wall of Jerusalem. They take all of the precious things of the temple and they carry them back to Babylon along with anybody who survived the slaughter. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed, wiped out. Injustice, lack of righteousness, Greed, drunkenness, pride, these don't just annoy God. These make God so angry that he's willing to destroy his nation rather than to keep them, let them perpetuate these sins. And that should give us some pause. Because we live in a society that produces stink fruit, better than it produces anything else. When you log on, let's say to Facebook, what are all those little ads down the side? They're not saying, hey, you're perfect just the way you are. They're saying, you need this right here, right now. In fact, here's 12 kinds of this that you can buy because we saw once upon a time that you were searching for something. Y'all good back there? That you were searching for something and now we've stored it and we're going to remind you all the time, you need this, you need more, 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 you don't have enough. And before you watch this Netflix video, just take a second, don't skip it yet, you can't skip it yet, you can't skip it yet, you got to watch, keep watching, keep watching, you need this, you need this, you need this, now you can watch your video. Constantly, you need this, you are not enough, you need more, you need more, you need more. By the way, you're major. Is this really the major that's going to have the best financial return Let's think that through, because if it's not, you really got to get your priorities in order. 
I mean, this whole serving the world, agents of renewal, blah, 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 let's talk turkey, people. Are you going to make some money? This is the stink fruit that's all around us all the time. You need more, you don't have enough, you've got a plan for your future, you've got to hoard what you have. So when you go to church or you come to loft and the offering plate is passed, you take the hey, I'm a college student. Stink fruit. And drunkenness. We have a culture that says, this is what everyone does in college. This is what everybody does. In fact, we're going to tell stories about the funny things we do when we're drunk. And we're going to laugh at them, and we're going to think that they're really funny. Yeah, you tell your story now about the time that you got drunk, and then I'll tell a story about how the time I got drunk, and they'll be so great, they'll be so awesome. Everybody does this in college. Everybody does it. You turn 21, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're buying for us now. This is the culture we swim in. This is the culture you swim in. I'm almost 46, not so much swimming in that anymore. But this is what you swim in all the time. This is the expectation of you. Even if you're a teetotaling, sober person, the expectation of other people on you is that you will do this, that you will drink, and you will not just have one beer or one glass of wine, but you will drink so that you will get drunk. The goal isn't to just, you know, everybody have a beer and hang out most of the time at most parties. It's who can get stupid fastest. That's what you swim in. That's what you have to stand up to. That's what you have to deal with. That's what you have to talk about. And pride, oh my goodness. Your professor hands out an assignment and says, okay, listen, this is going to take three to five hours to complete. You've got enough time. It's due Wednesday, but I want you to schedule it so, you, so you're ready. It's going to take three to five hours. And you hear that and you go, not for me may take three to five hours for you people, but I'm going to be fine. And Monday comes, and Tuesday comes, and it's Tuesday night, and you're playing the video game. Oh, I may as well do that assignment now. And you sit down, and sure enough, it's not going to take you three to five hours. It's going to take you seven. <laughs> and people give you advice in college. They give you advice all the time. President Leroy if you've been at Passport, he will almost always say, you need to get more sleep. This is like the thing that he says. 18 to 22-year-old brains are still growing. You need to get sleep. If you don't get sleep, you can't be a good college citizen. You can't be a good student. You're not going to be a nice human being to be around. Please, everyone, sleep more. This is what he says. And you know what everybody does? All the little freshmen who are sitting out there, they look at him, they're like, right. I mean, I know you got a beard and everything, but come on. <laughs> Pride. And so, so you get to about this point in the semester, and you start doing the like, you start doing the Red Bull and sugar thing, and then you start to get sick, and you're like, I don't know why I'm getting sick. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> it's pride. It will take you down. This is the stink fruit of our culture. This is the stink fruit that smells up the place and gets us to the point where we can't tell good from evil anymore. And we excuse the behavior around our greed or our drunkenness or our pride. But the truth of the matter is that these things don't just annoy God. 
They make him angry. Angry enough that he destroyed an earlier people for these exact same behaviors. Anybody else feeling the need for someone else to step in who's got a little more capacity for righteousness and justice than we do? Anybody else feeling the need to repent? And maybe send someone else in to mediate with us? Someone maybe who once identified himself as the true vine? Keep a finger in Isaiah 5. Flip to page 878. John 15. Page 878, John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Now, there are lots of other things that he names himself as. Light of the world, living water, shepherd. All of those have Old Testament references that we usually get. But a lot of us miss this vine one because we haven't studied Isaiah 5. But everybody who first heard him say, I am the true vine, all of those Jews would have immediately thought, Isaiah 5. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. And we go, oh, good, Jesus is here. Oh, phew. It's all going to be okay. But then you read the next line. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Shoot. <laughs> There's this temptation among uh, people who aren't immersed in the word to imagine that the Old Testament God is kind of mean and cranky and the New Testament God is gentle and nice. But it's the same triune God through the whole business. And the stakes are the same here. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or cleanses to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed or pruned by the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Those who abide in me and I am them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Here's the invitation from Jesus. He says, look, I know you can't do this on your own. I know you are swimming in a stink fruit culture. I know how hard it is to stand up and be the person of courage 
So abide in me. Draw near to me. Come and be with me. Now, there are no new tricks about abiding with Jesus. Okay? There's nothing snazzy, I can tell you, that you haven't heard before. So tell me, how do we abide in Jesus? Love one another. How else? Forgive each other. Yes. How else? Pray. Yes. Love Jesus. Yes. Thank you. Be accountable to one another. Yes. Worship. Yes. You just talk right now all by yourself. Go. Who was it? You're hiding now? All right. Be kind and compassionate to those around you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes. There's nothing new to this, guys. It's not like I'm going to go, I have this big secret about abiding with Jesus. Everybody lean in. No. It's like you pray, you worship, you study scripture, you're kind to people, you confess your sin, you apologize when you're an idiot, you try not to be an idiot anymore. This is how we abide in Jesus. We get to know Jesus. Who is he? What did he love? How did he move in the world? How did he love justice? How did he work toward good relationships and building relationships people to people to people to people? And how was he righteous before the face of God? How did he obey the commandments? How was he right with his God? Did he fast? Did he pray? Did he go off by himself from time to time? Yeah. Did he worship in the temple and in the synagogue, did he sacrifice? Yes. We abide in Jesus by living all the ways that Jesus has invited us to live. The, the challenge is it's really hard. It's not like we don't know what to do. We just don't do what we're supposed to do. The good that is in me, I can't do. And all the bad that's in me, that's what I actually do. We read that from Romans 7. So here's Another important thing to remember, justice and righteousness are communal virtues. They're communal virtues. We live them out together. So when it comes to justice, we can't say, oh, those people on Second and Rican, they do justice. The rest of us don't really do justice. Like they've covered racial reconciliation and being nice to people and working things out. They do that. Like they got that. I know you do, Kurt. You're on it. We can't just say, it's not my issue. We have to work toward it together and say race and reconciliation, caring for poor people, praying for the refugees, dealing with immigrants, dealing with the poor people who are right around us. That's not somebody else's job. That's our job. That's why we actually have a place on campus called the Service Learning Center so they can help us get better at that. Righteousness. Not an individual virtue, a communal virtue. We all help each other move more and more toward a deeper and richer relationship with God through worship and Bible study and accountability and prayer and learning to live like Jesus. Now, there's something really cool that Jesus said buried into this passage. He says, my Father is glorified when you bear fruit. My father is glorified when you bear fruit. And you know where he got that from? Isaiah 5. 
Because in the middle of this chapter of death and destruction, and I'm going to whistle, and the nations are going to come, and they're going to just run right over you, in the middle of all of this, there's verses 16 and 17. But the Lord of hosts is exalted by justice, and the holy God shows himself holy by righteousness. Then the lambs shall graze as in their pasture, fatlings and kids shall feed among the ruins. He gives the hope. When we practice justice, when we live righteousness, when we deny the stink fruit culture of greed and drunkenness and pride, we exalt the name of God. We lift up his name together. Every time you confess a sin and you're forgiven by somebody that you're living with, you're exalting the name of God. Every time you lean into a hard conversation about sexuality or race or money or power or recycling, Every time you lean into those conversations and you work to understand each other, you're exalting the name of God. And we get to do that right here all the time. It's like the coolest thing. And every time we get together and we say, we're going to worship, we're going to work together, we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're going to live wholeheartedly before the face of God, we're going to do that together. Every time we do that, we exalt the name of God. Jesus says, my father is glorified in these things. When you bear much fruit, it doesn't just affect everybody else. It affects God. We lift his name on high. And so Jesus says, you want to live that kind of life? Come here. You want to live that kind of life, that God-glorifying life? The life in which stink fruit just doesn't have any place. It doesn't even work. A life in which you can quickly tell good from evil because you spend so much time hanging out with me, Jesus says, come on. Come on. Stop messing around with the stink fruit and come abide with me. Make me your center. Make me your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you abide in me, you can bear much fruit.